have this friendly against Latvia, which is a little bit of a nothing game. It could be interesting that game now, if it is the case that this is when Evan Ferguson starts, and maybe that's his chance. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts, and download the OTB Sports app. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports, in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support. Top pocket goal! It's what dreams are made of. They are going to the World Cup Finals! Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Koi Gig Podcast. I am Kathleen McNamee and I am joined by former Ireland internationals Emma Byrne and Karen Duggan. How are you both doing? We are both fine. Great. Stuck in any ice or anything this weekend? No, I didn't go ice skating playing football like some of the WSL players. It wasn't icy at all around that. No, I kind of wish it was a bit more icy. We mightn't have had to do hill sprints up in Phoenix Park, but look. Okay, that's my new neighbourhood. Next time I'll bring you in for a cup of tea and give you a warm blanket or something. Yeah, that'd be great. (laughs) Wipe my tears. Yeah. We used to do hill sprints with the Irish team back then, like (laughs) 20 years ago. No, more than that, about 25 years ago, all of us in Phoenix Park. And I used to hide behind the tree with Olivia O'Toole until (laughs) we weren't there on the second (laughs) round. <laughs> and did you get away with that or did oh, that no. or hot water? <laughs> no, they used I used to get caught and then I'd, you know, drag Olivia with me. But I reckon Olivia could have easily just hid away for the rest of the day, to be honest. <laughs> they could see me behind the tree. <laughs> so Karen, can we take it then that uh preseason is going swimmingly well as per usual? Uh, yeah, loving life. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's good. It's good to be back. Bit of structure, bit of routine after December needed. Mm. Well, structure and routine were definitely not present in the WSL this weekend. In fact, it was probably chaotic is more the word. But despite that, we will still be looking into all the action that did happen and all the reasons that the action didn't happen a bit later in the show. We also have our classic team of the week because the lovely Emma Carroll has returned from her holidays. And uh, I'm I'm actually very impressed that the team even came out this week. I genuinely didn't think she would manage it. So fair play to Emma for doing that. But before we get into all the WSL action, uh, there was a bit of a story this week that Vera Powell contract talks are not happening quite yet so her current contract leaves her just up until the end of the world cup and then after that it's a bit like hmm, don't know what's going to happen and uh, the fai are saying that this is part of a kind of a normal way of doing things they don't want to give people long contracts that they have to pay them out of at the end but also i don't know i can understand not wanting to get into contract negotiations right before a major tournament but you'd also think there would be some certainty or like they'd at least say, we're having discussions, but, you know, there's there's nothing on the table or something like that. Instead of we're literally not talking about anything at all. I don't know what you guys feel about that, though. I don't think it's that unusual, given that Vera Pau is Dutch. She's This is not her home. She's not planning on being here forever. And the pinnacle is bringing the team to the World Cup. Can she bring them any further? Maybe. We don't really know. I'd say it's as much to do with her as the FAI, but also they're, they're paying out of contracts. They're still paying out certain ones on the men's side, which we all know about. They don't want to be getting themselves in that sort of situation again. I don't. I probably wouldn't read too much into it, but I also wouldn't be surprised if Fear Plow left after the World Cup of her own accord. 
Yeah, I mean, she said she was thinking about retiring, didn't she, before she took the Irish job. So I imagine that that would still be the back of her mind and she might go out on a high. But yeah, I, I agree with the, the uh, campaign to campaign thing, um, you know, especially with her being Dutch, as Karen said, and she has to move to Ireland if she wants to really commit to that job. You have to be able to see the the teams play in Ireland. You have to be around. You have to be. Oh, okay. She would disagree with you massively on that one. <laughs> but I don't understand how. Like that, surely that's well, the job of the interviewer. Team manager. Mm. Yeah, well, when we interviewed her on Coigig last year, and I asked her about this, she was very firm that there was no necessity to be in the country. That she had enough of a decent coaching team behind her. That yeah, but it's funny now that we have qualified and we're in the World Cup that she is here. Doing the home base trainings every week. <laughs> so, I, hey, I'm not saying I agree with wanting her. to between wanting to qualify and when we qualified. Why is the commitment different? Um, I don't think it should be different, but no. I, I, I mean, even as for the FAI, I mean, for you to have that conversation before you give someone the job would be, or oh, do you plan to move to this country that you plan to represent? And they say no. I'd be like, hmm. Well, maybe you're not as committed as you should be because for me and that's why a long-term contract wouldn't make sense maybe you're happy with that situation for now but it could easily change and you might decide okay we need to start looking lower start developing people earlier and you need your senior manager's input into that so I think it makes sense yeah no I, I totally agree with you I mean I don't would there be any other manager in the world that's not living in that country that they're they're actually managing. I don't know. Well, I know certain managers have gone, like they've moved to Ukraine, they've moved to Kazakhstan. So I don't understand why not. Move to Ireland, watch the leagues, be around, go into meet the managers. It's all about creating that social aspect, relationships with the, the team you're representing, the country you're representing. So... Do you think, you know, the way there's been this argument, it's kind of been more on the men's side and a lot of people were like, well, Serena Beekman is the obvious kind of antithesis to this, but that, like, should the next manager be an Irish manager then? Or is it okay having someone else come in that's maybe not Irish, hasn't grown up or look if they can the Irish get, system before, but... If they can't even time. get females to, to work in in the the Irish league how do we expect to have you know an Irish female coach yeah. um that's another problem for another day and another get the female coaches on board but um yeah no i don't think it, it necessarily needs to be an irish coach i just again what what is your expectation on an international manager i think because ireland is not professional and we're still taking some players from Women's National League and we need to nurture that and keep an eye on what's going on everywhere else. I think the Irish senior manager job becomes a little bit more than just picking the senior team. I think you need to have one eye on development as well. So just someone who's willing to commit to that. What's the sort of coach that you would, like a realistic sort of coach that you would like to see coming into Ireland? And I'm talking like a specific name or someone that you've seen in an international setup who's done a good job that you're like, yeah, I think they might come up here after a World Cup or maybe in a couple of months' time this could be something that they'd be interested in. Emma? 
<laughs> I mean, there are loads of, of really good managers. Um, it, it doesn't really matter if they're female or male for me, but I would love to see a top female coach going in there. Um, and I obviously Emma Hayes would be fantastic. <laughs> And she understands the Irish culture as well. I th- I do think that's important, though. I do mm-hmm. think they need to understand the Irish culture, the passion, the the roots of of where you know how we grew up and everything. Laura Harvey would be absolutely brilliant as well. She understands the Irish culture. I'll be because they've all they've both had a drink with me, so they understand now yeah. anyway. <laughs> um, Is that your qualification into Irish culture? <laughs> Forget getting your UEFA licenses. If you've had a drink with Emma Byrne, you understand the culture. That's all you need. <laughs> That's it. You're in. Um, I mean, there are loads, there are loads. But I do think, I don't think you can just pluck one out of the air. I do think they have to have some kind of relationship with Ireland because, you know, we are a team, we're a country that play with passion and passion is probably our biggest asset. So along with loads of other things. Uh, but it's a huge thing for us. You know, we're so proud to be Irish, putting on the shirt, all that kind of stuff. And that has to, um, you know, it has to be in the, the team talks. There has that You have to know how to motivate us. And that's certainly uh, something that an Irish person, person would understand. Well, uh, you know, if anyone wants to consult on the future Irish manager's job, they can contact us at any stage and we will quite happily talk them through the process of what we want as a podcast for yeah. the Irish manager. <laughs> um, the Koi Gig Pod, known to be sports and is in association with Cadbury FC, official snack partner to the Republic of Ireland women's national team. Now, it's a terrible job that we gave her straight after she came back from a lovely week in Lisbon. But coming up next, we have our team of the week with Emma Carroll. you went away you had a lovely time and you were hoping we were talking earlier that you were coming back to watch some nice football but sadly the weather had other ideas so instead you have the very difficult task of picking a team out of very few matches Uh, one of the trickier times you've had to do this I would think possibly the toughest yeah (laughs) (laughs) not sure they weren't blessed with crackers either no they weren't great games let's be honest I did consider maybe you know adding a couple from the Chelsea Liverpool match just purely for ice skating skills you know Aaron Cuthbert Neil Charles maybe there's a dance and a nice future for them (laughs) after they finish playing but um, yeah it was a tough one we had a running joke that we should get Kevin Kilban on the show because in the way he did dancing on ice and get him to rate the players and how they performed on the ice, which actually would have been a brilliant idea. But by any chance, if he listens to Koi Giger once, <laughs> we're very on board. I'm sure he subscribed. Um, of course. Um, Emma, do you want to go through the team that you did manage to pick out of the games that did go ahead? Yeah, I've went with actually probably one of the best positions of the weekend was probably goalkeepers. Um, but I've put in Mary Earps in there. Um, four at the back. Blundell, Finnegan, Letizia and Mailing, And a midfield three of Kenza Daly, Ella Toon and Lucy Staniford. And then up top, Paris, Shaw and Jess Park. I mean, it's not a bad team considering the fact that a lot of matches didn't go ahead. Like there's a few names that we've seen quite regularly in recent times. Uh, I know we've talked a lot about Daly and Stanford coming in to learn what they've done there. Karen, who stuck out for you and the team? Um, I thought Mailing and Pacheco for Villa were both very, very good, um, particularly being able to keep kind of Chloe Kelly quiet and 
uh, City struggled to feed Shaw then because that was blocked off a bit. So she was very good. And again, a name that we haven't seen much of. I think I agree. I think the goalkeeper was probably the probably the hardest one to pick. Um, we don't usually go for losing keepers, but I thought Burns kind of obviously had a peno save for Reading. Um, kept them in the match. Like United probably should have been home and dry after the first half, but she kept Reading in a position where they were actually pushing in that game, which was um, she was really good. I thought, um, yeah, pretty good. I mean. Bunny Shaw, that assist alone. We don't usually see her assist. We usually see her uh, score. And so again, good to see her there. And yeah, Dali, Park, week in, week out, impressing for both Villa and Everton. So not too much I can pick apart there. <laughs> well, you, don't I, have, you don't have many options. It really. does not have <laughs> for Reading. Lots, yeah. I mean, I agree with your centre-back pairing as well. I thought they were both rock solid. Letizia for United, she's... So composed. Quality. She's so good. She's quality. She's really good. Um, and yeah, Everton are, Everton are starting to gel a bit. So good to see a bit of representation there for them. Yeah, well, good the aspects them, yeah. of Everton that's going well this week. <laughs> I mean, before Christmas, they weren't really clicking in the final third or creating anything. So then they were putting themselves under pressure and conceding and stuff. But I think that they're starting to gel a little bit better, which is, is good. Yeah, I think Jess Park was really good as well. She created Jess so Park. much. They need to bring Jess Park back. Like they need to recall her loan spell. What would she start? Like, is this game time not? I think I think she would. I think she's proved herself. She's Everton's best player. But like, she's in the top three, Hemp. though, isn't she? You're not going to drop Hemp, Kelly, or Shaw. I don't know. I think I think they'd consider dropping Kelly. Yeah, they could do. Maybe they could do with the competition. Step up a bit. Yeah, she she should stay where she is because she has that freedom to play, and yeah. she probably wouldn't have that at City. So I think it was a great move for her and for Everton. Yeah, yeah for Everton as well. Yeah, I mean it's 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 a great team. Again, I would have had Burns in because Erps wasn't so busy. I think she uh, could have had a cup of tea that game. Um, and Burns, she was great, great penalty save and great reaction to get up for the second one as well. Did I was I was laughing at your tweet, Emma, about the beat should have been another penalty straight after. It should have. It should have. Yeah. Penalty. Like oh, Evans comes in, congratulations, and pats the ball like she's patting a baby's head. Well done, well done. And I was like, what is she doing? <laughs> oh, I'd have loved if that had happened. How did anyway. that not get spotted though? It would have perfectly added to the chaos of the general weekend as well, if that was a thing. Unbelievable. Um, Yeah, the reason I put Erps in was because she hit that 50 clean sheet record as well. So, and she did pull off one or two shaves. Fair enough, fair enough. Um, Finnegan, Letizia, I love Letizia. I think she's bloody brilliant. Um, I might have, I think Alana Kennedy had a really good game. I, I was doing that game, so I, I was watching her a lot. She was holding the, the line really well. Uh, Villa were caught offside so many times, and it was because of her. She was holding the line. She was stepping up. Really clever player and really quick as well. So covering up behind everyone. Uh, Mailing, again, I just think she she didn't have much to do, to be honest, because he never got the ball out to their wingers. So poor, uh, you know, from midfield then to the attack and third. I think Hemp and Chloe Kelly were very quiet. Didn't mm, get the ball. Very quiet. Sally, excellent. Um, even better when you're watching her in real life. 
uh, tune, classic. Stanford was really good. She actually really impressed me because even though I've seen her for United, probably playing a little bit higher up as well, she's good. She's she's a good player. But playing for Villa in that holding midfield position, I thought she was excellent. Her delivery um, as well is so good. Great sign. Almost every delivery from set pieces was just troubling. Yeah. Great player. And of course, the top three. Uh, Paris, I might have... It might have been questionable. I thought my mate Mukandi did a great job on her, so I wouldn't have put her in she there. She actually had a really good game. I was, I was delighted for her, to be honest, yeah. after everything. In the right back position. Yeah. Like she is very left footed, if you know yeah. what I mean. Like <laughs> she can kick with her right, but she's very left footed. Mm-hmm. And to have a left footed player with a good left foot, to put them on the right for me is is a sin because she's really good at getting forward and putting the balls in the box. But anyway, um, yeah, and of course, Bunny Shot, that setup for Castellanos was brilliant, that pass in. Ah. Was, was she great. just seems to be getting better as well. Just like when she gets the ball and she runs direct, that, you're like, oh. Listen, the girl doesn't run. She she doesn't. If you <laughs> want to press, if you want a team to press, you can't have her on the pitch. She's not going to do it for you. So that's another problem. But... You cannot get the ball off her. It's impossible. I haven't seen anybody. I've seen her beast every single player. And I've said it before, including Millie Bright, who, you know, she can hold yeah. her own. Uh, Shaw is quality for that. And when someone like Alex Greenwood gets the ball and just plays that ball into Shaw, easiest ball in, she just holds it up. And it just gives players confidence around her. They know she's going to keep the ball so they can be confident in making those runs. They just didn't do it enough. I, th- I think they did it, did it three times in the game where they should be looking for that every single time. But yeah. Nice. Well, Emma, thank you very much for joining us. Once again, an excellent job on what was a very difficult weekend <laughs> to make any sort of difference. I am slightly sad, sad we didn't get your, you know, ice skating report, but maybe we will do that another time because I think it does sound excellent. Um, but thank you very much. Thank you. So as I have alluded to multiple times on this podcast, it was not a great weekend for the WSL at all. And once again, we find ourselves talking about things other than the football, which we don't like to do. We prefer when we actually get to come on and talk about the players and the matches they had and how well they played or how badly they played. But instead, we're sitting here watching or talking about pitches and talking about watching players slip and slide all over the place like Bambi. Um, so Brighton and Arsenal, as well as Tottenham and Leicester, were both postponed ahead of time. Uh, some very unhappy Arsenal fans who that match was postponed quite late and they'd already travelled to the match, uh, though the great lot of Moy had left some money behind a bar for them locally. So they did have a fun time watching the men, at least. And then we had Chelsea-Liverpool, which was probably the biggest farce the WSL has seen in a long time, which is saying something because it does tend to be quite chaotic, where players uh, were told at half nine in the morning that the surface was unplayable. They tried to warm it up. They put heaters on it. They put blankets on it because that's what you do. You put a blanket on a pitch and hope that it gets better. And they decided that the game would go to head, even though the Liverpool managing director wrote to the FA before kickoff saying Liverpool didn't want the game to happen. Niamh Fahey went straight to the ref before the game happened and said they didn't want it to happen. Yet we still saw players slipping and sliding around the pitch for six minutes before the game was eventually suspended. So, yeah, I don't know how you guys felt when you 
saw what was going on with this game, but it just made me angry. because so I was like, why are we doing this to the players? This is, we talk about ACL and knee injury crisis. And this is like literally the peak opportunity to get an injury like that. At least yeah. they called it off. You know, this brought back really... Iceland. Memories. Yes, I was going to say. <laughs> 2009. Picture this. 2009. <laughs> Live on Eurosport, I remember. Oh, what. God. It was like our game went ahead mm-hmm. and girls were had to go to hospital thinking they'd broken their wrists because they tried to, you know, stop themselves falling. But anyway, um, in this day and age, I mean, that was a while ago, it was obvious that it shouldn't have been played and it was just a bit silly, wasn't it? Just all the cameras going around, looking at the manager's faces, looking at the players' faces. We didn't see any kind of football. It was all just about when are they going to realise that they can't play in this pitch? And I didn't really understand it because with this situation, the pitch is frozen. You look at the temperatures, they're not improving. So how did they think it was going to get better? I don't really get how the ref thought that it was a good decision to go ahead with it. Um, he'll certainly be uh, called into the office today asking about his choices. Uh, but at least it was called off because it was absolutely ridiculous. It was just... Yeah, just- postponing a game is is bad enough, but to attempt it under those conditions was embarrassing. Yeah. And unnecessary and, yeah. Just they, some- they were under pressure because on BBC, but at the end of the day, it's about the fans as well traveling from Liverpool. Just do better. Yeah. Do your p- pitch inspection. <laughs> Blankets aren't going to help you, mate. Nothing's going to help you. No. Well, it's even the fact that, like, in Kings Meadow, the part of the sand, like, goes over the pitch. So, yeah. like, that bit wasn't getting any sunlight because it was, like, an early enough match as well. And you would have known that at half nine in the morning. Anyone, any of the groundkeepers in Kings Meadow could have told you that patch of grass isn't going to get any sunlight. And that's exactly where Chelsea were warming up. And they moved away from there because it was so icy to a random patch of the pitch that wasn't as bad. And they're like, well... Even at that stage, surely some of the officials were like, eh. or were they sitting there going, I've gone too far now. I've oh, I think they were like, oh, crap. Oh, yeah. crap. Every time someone slipped, oh, crap. <laughs> That's it. We have to We have to call this off. It was, it was just silly. Silly decision, poor. And it's it's a referee's decision. So, again, what's he doing? I thought Emma Hayes as well was quite right to call out the FA as well and say that, you know, Obviously, teams want to play most of the time. It's going to take a lot for a team to say, no, I don't want to play. No, I'm going to put the fans through this stress. But it shouldn't be anywhere near up to them. It should be officials. It should be FA officials. And there should be those people at these games to make sure that debacles like this don't happen. But as much as the pitches should be heated or there should be like better facilities. There also needs to be that chain of command. So like say the Liverpool managing director isn't trying to send the FA an email before a game kicks off to be like, hello, uh, that's a nice rink. And our players are all going to walk away with bruises at the very least. And if not something worse. Yeah. Like, um, I don't know, like a, a, an official retired referee or somebody that comes in and mentors the refs, like the, you know, somebody, a higher pay grade coming in and making sure they're making these decisions. I mean, it doesn't happen that often, but I mean, it happened before Christmas as well. So it shouldn't be happening at this level anymore. Um, but then you can always ask as well, 
like another reason to move into the the bigger stadiums, the men's stadiums, which all have under soil heating, I think is a good point because realistically, it's England, it's freezing. Like it's not gonna, it's not gonna change. There are always going to be these problems December, January. So look well, at- it's like every season we have this podcast where we sit here and we're like, well, half the games were cancelled. Karen, yeah. what did you do at the weekend? Eva, how are you feeling? <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> it's so strange for me. I haven't been in Barcelona for five years. I, I completely forgot about this. <laughs> so when I came back in December, it games called off for what? Oh, uh, waterlogged pitches or it was was freezing. I was like, what? Okay. (laughs) This is, uh, strange to hear this. I feel like I'm, I've gone back 15 years in in time, but yeah. Um, just needs to be better. You know, it's professional. We've all moved on. Everything's moved on apart from that. Mm. And what do you think? Like, is it investing in the pitches themselves in the first place? Is it, as you say, like putting games on in matches stadium or men's stadiums until that happens? Like the Athletic, I think, were reporting some costs that it costs about half a million to say stage a Chelsea game at Stamford Bridge. Like, is it better taking that half a million and saying, we're going to put that into developing facilities and actually getting... Yeah, it is because they're not. There'll always be clashes with the men's and stuff, and they won't want teams playing one after the other. So invest in the infrastructure until they're at such a point that they can completely fill those stadiums and recoup the losses or whatever it would be for putting on a a game there for half a million. Like for half a million, can you get a pitch cover that has a bit of heating over it that would potentially help out in the in Kings Meadow? I don't know. I don't know the costs of these things, but a, gen- a general investment in infrastructure is surely. But just looking at the future, I mean, I honestly do think the the women's teams are going to be playing in these big stadiums. Like, I don't know when, five mm. years, 10 years. I think they will be there. So I don't know. I think do it earlier. <laughs> Put them in there earlier. And they're saying half a million I mean, they don't have to open up the whole stadium, which they're basically accounting for that. They don't need 500 staff members. You know, it doesn't have Mm. to be that way. They can find a way to do it. Um, But in general, I think, well, you know, the Arsenal have done it. They they show that they get the the fans in there, over 40,000 fans. Do it now. Start it now. Yeah, I think it's like, it's one that's probably harder to balance because your clubs like Arsenal or even your Chelsea's may draw in those sort of numbers but say an Everton or a Brighton or someone that's a bit lower down the table whoever it might be might not be there yet and I do I agree that this situation should be happening but I'm like I wonder is there a middle ground in the meantime so that we're not completely losing atmospheres or like people developing the interest. An awful lot of blankets for half a million. (laughs) (laughs) Straight down to Petty's, few hot water bottles, away we go, happy days. (laughs) Um, No, like, I totally agree with you, Eva. Like, I I think you look at the turnouts this year and it's absolutely a blueprint for what should be done and it should be happening in the next, like, I think five years probably. But I just wonder as an immediate solution so that we're not having these matches cancelled on such short notice or postponed in short notice is there like a 
suppose a stopgap or like a, a bridge so that you're not going straight from, okay, we're going to host all our games in a two, 3,000 seater stadium straight into like 40, 50, 60,000, whatever it might be. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, like perhaps just a better stadium, you know, yeah. connected to a better club. Like you, you look at Man City, I think of all the, the negatives we can talk about Man City, there are so many positives. Like that infrastructure is the blueprint for me because not only, and I know geographically it might not work for every club, but they have their own stadium, basically. I know they share it with the reserves, but the stadium is there. It's two minutes walk from the Etihad. It is in the still in the family, if you know what I mean. Like it's there. They're using the same facilities and it feels like a Man City women's stadium. Mm. Um, I know, it, you know, look at Brighton, Hove and Albion. They're using, I believe it's Crawley Town Stadium, if I'm yeah. correct. Um, and it needs to be better. It just, it just maybe connect with a better club that has the facilities to make sure that games go ahead. Yeah. Um, if they're not going to move into the actual stadiums themselves, it just needs to be better, better, better stadiums. Mm. So they're under soil heating at the Academy Stadium. I was trying to see it there, but I'm not sure. I think there might be. You know what? I had a full-blown conversation with with the groundsman. I don't know why or how I found myself (laughs) in this position, but I heard all about it and he was preparing for that game. So I understand money-wise, right? Because he was preparing for that game for two days and they had the undersoil heating and was telling me it's, it's a very long story by the way I found out hello to his wife Maria by the way and two kids at home <laughs> um there there is a lot of work that has to go into it uh but because they share it with the, the reserves and and the youth uh, team football it's ongoing so you know they have these staff members in all the time anyway and um, so it's not extra to have the women um, but yeah, there's a lot of work to go into it and that's that's football and that's how it is here in the UK. But um, yeah, it just needs to be better. You can't afford to have games called off. It's just not good enough. No, and like it's already congested enough schedule. This is only going to make it more congested. It was putting players in danger in the first place. As you said, the like the Liverpool fans, I read stories of them getting up at half three in the morning to make the game on time and stuff like it's it's a trek to go from Liverpool all the way down to Crawley and like to find out six minutes into the game that you're not going to get to watch any football is absolutely ridiculous. And I think it shows a real disregard for fans. Um, but hopefully something will change. People will keep calling out. I mean, it was pretty vocal across the entire spectrum of football that this shouldn't happen and players don't want to put up with it anymore. So hopefully... They will keep knocking on that door and get, I don't know, the PFA or something involved as well. We did have some games. Uh, Emma, you were at Man City Aston Villa, if I saw correctly. I was, yep. That was me. I was there. Um, <laughs> it wasn't your look like now, <laughs> the doppelganger <laughs> that's running around Manchester, <laughs> known for dancing on tables and the like. Um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was really excited to see Villa play. <laughs> because of their signings, you know, mainly Jordan Nobbs, to be honest. I was excited to, to watch her uh, because she she had such a long time out of in, 
you know, with injury and then wasn't getting minutes at Arsenal. And, you know, I personally really like her. She's very, she's very sound. She's a sound girl and she's just absolutely obsessed with football. Everything is football for her and she's very emotional as well. So, um, I knew it was going to take her a couple of games. She's still finding her way in the team. Uh, and I do think it's because of that she's emotionally invested. So she has to not only be physically invested, but she has to be emotionally invested in there as well. And that's coming. It's a process for her. Um, and also I really like Carol Ward, who's my favorite manager at the moment. I think she's brilliant and just listening to her in her press conferences as well. And I know the girls, all the girls love her, which I think is a really good mm. sign. You know, when you hear the players speak so highly of her. So, yeah, it was interesting to see how, how they played and, and they played really well. And this is only their second game together. So they're going to get even, but they are going to take points from the top four, 100%. Um, and they're not too far behind fourth position either. So, you know, they'll be putting pressure on City, which they did. For me, it was a massive point for them. And a huge drop of two points for City, who I don't actually think are taking this as serious as they should. Because for me, those two points were Champions League or no Champions League for next season. Um, I don't think, you know, listening to Gareth Taylor as well about, you know, they were in the same position last season and then they finished strong and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, fair play to you for trying to sugarcoat this. But I don't think United are going to drop points. Even I was just going to say, that's the difference is that yeah, you you expected United to drop points last year. They nearly did. They nearly, nearly did. <laughs> and they would have last year. They would have drawn that game, I think. Yes, yes. Gareth Taylor is a great man for a bit of spin as well. Like even I saw him saying that they appreciated that point. And I was like, you shouldn't be saying that if you're going for Champions League. You should be like, we dropped. I think he, yeah, he was disappointed, obviously, with how they played. They were flat. Yeah, yeah. No, but like even just everything for me, even the players themselves, I'm looking at this game and I'm thinking, I feel like going down there and screaming at them because I'm like, this, this is so important to get three points here today. And they're passing it here, passing it back. And I'm like, oh, my God, you have got literally yeah, five minutes. To especially score. because you'd think they'd want vengeance. Obviously, Villa took points off them in the opener. Um, but also... City have spanked Villa the last three times they've played them at home. And they didn't assert that dominance at all. Like oh, I think Villa have never beaten the last them. three games it was 20 nil. And what? it didn't look like the home team. Villa have never beaten them at home. They everything going into the game was screaming City with three points after this. Yes. But you know what? During the game it was like, what's going on? Like these players, they the problem is they don't take it personally. Mm. I used to take it personally if if we were beaten by a team or I'd take it personally if we had to get three points t- to make sure we maintain that pressure for Champions League. And, and you know, even watching them coming out of the dressing room, I'm like, I'm listening to, you know, they're talking about what they're doing later, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh my God, I would like to be, I'd be hiding away. I'd be so angry. Champions League is a massive, massive thing for you. And as much as you try to put a spin in it, at the end of the day, it's not about how you haven't been beaten in 15 games, how you've this statistic. No, you've dropped two points when you have to win every single game till the end of the season. 
just for to survive in Champions League. Because if you're not making Champions League, it's a massive failure for that club. And nobody's talking about that. It's a huge failure. Mm. Especially the way in which they conceded, like score that lovely Castellanos goal should be doing that more often in the game, playing through the middle, moving Villa about, using Shaw. And then they conceded a couple of minutes later. They were just static. Yeah, I mean, as much as I was excited to see Villa, I I do think they've got a bit of work to do, but they're so much improved. Like they really are. And I do like where they're going. But with City, I mean, there were alarm bells, I thought, right from, you know, the first half, just the, the way they were set up as well. Like they weren't using their fullbacks to get forward. The fullbacks didn't get forward. I think Leilu Habi on the left side got forward once in the first half. They were actually sending their two number 10s, which is Castellanos and Orkoons, out wide. And I just didn't really get what they were trying to do. For me, the full band and the 10 stay inside and support um, Bunny it wasn't happening but you've seen that in the second half they they ended up staying more central but it's just everything the build up the slow build up the slow movement of the ball uh, silly silly decisions you know in, in the final third things that a team would if they were hungry wouldn't be making those decisions I just I, I question their passion and their uh, their hunger I think that's the worst thing you can question if someone said that about me, I'd just be so upset. Well, that's something that we have talked about a few times as well. I think we have questioned that on City side. But United, we haven't questioned that as much this season. As you say, Graham, this definitely felt like the sort of game that United would have lost last year or drawn and not taken up the points. Uh, I don't know if there was anything about the performance in particular that stuck out to you. Was it that it wasn't maybe the best wasn't their best the world, performance? But they managed yeah. to... That was it. It was getting over the line. Um, the fact, again, that they were able to bring someone off the bench who made a difference. Um, Skinner said, you know, that that's why we signed someone like Rachel Williams to bring on and someone who can keep their composure in the 87th minute to do something like that. Um, so, again, just drawing that they're a little bit stronger in depth than they were last year. Um, and they respond... They, I thought Reading started pretty brightly, but they responded quite well. They grew into the game. They had plenty chances. Burns was brilliant on goal. Um, saved the penalty. You'd think they could have gone into their boots and retreated after that, but they kept going. Um, and yeah, I, they dug out a win. It, it was kind of like, you know, the way Chelsea can kind of just dig out wins. And that's what that's what it was. That's what they needed. Um, well, it's the thing we've been saying for like ages now that if they wanted to contest for that, Champions League place that's exactly I mean, what they're level with Chelsea at the moment I know it's goal difference or whatever but psychologically that plus City losing it's yeah. got to kick them on another notch now got to give them massive confidence of well like their goal difference is better than Chelsea's and Arsenal's Arsenal are on have played 10 games and they're three points behind so they do have that game in hand but I think I don't know if you want to be chasing games either I feel like that's a bit of a psychological toll because you'll know mm-hmm. you if you slip up then well that's that. No, you don't want to be, you don't want to have games in hand, <laughs> you know, because you are always chasing and it, it, you feel like the pressure is on you. But um, I just think with United as well, I mean, I have to say Reading defended really well. I think they were very organised. They were they were very impressive. Um, And I thought, 
you know, as you said, Burns, the goalkeeper, did really well. I think it would have been a shame, to be honest. It would have been, you know, United were all over them. They should have won. They had the chances. Red didn't give away many set pieces. So that's one thing that United really, yeah. like, compens on. They're very good at set pieces. And Reading were good. They were very disciplined in that aspect. Um, and, yeah, Rachel Williams, the experience, her, it just, it was the experience that, that won it. Because you've seen her. She got Ray McCandy, took another touch. You know, a Russo or, you know, even a tune might have shot in that second yeah. touch. She took another touch and even another touch. Yeah, yeah. And she just dragged, you know, everyone out of position. And um I really like Rachel Williams as a player. I know she's uh, getting on a little bit. I don't know her age, but she's certainly getting on a bit because she was playing when I was playing. Yeah. And that is a long time ago. Uh, good player, great player to have on the bench. And that is the difference, isn't it? The squad depth of United this season. Yeah. She's 35. As of January 10th. Looks great for Happy birthday to her. <laughs> um, and then finally, we had Everton West Ham 3 0 win for them for Everton, which is great. Uh, Jess Park, Aggie Beaver Jones, thought in terms of the low knees of the team, the kind of younger players both did really well. What a goal, by the way, that third one, Beaver Jones is absolute cracker. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Really I mean, West Ham. Probably won't deserve to lose it 3-0. I think that they possibly could have had a penalty show. I think that the ball was maybe over the line. Um, that was over the line. Yeah, so I think that... In fact, West Ham didn't get many calls at all. So, 3-0 flattered. I don't know what it flattered Everton. I think Everton have come on a bit, but it definitely was harsh on West Ham. Um, I think they were yeah, maybe, I do think- They were found wanting in terms of defending from crosses. And you can't do that, but... Um, yeah, three, I, three, I actually three. think I do actually think West Ham probably enjoyed most of the possession. I know there's probably mm-hmm. stats on that, but it looks like they had most of the possession. Um, again, Everton are looking much better as well, though. You know, with it, with in terms of their new signings, and they and look. You much are correct. Faster. They had about fifty-eight to sixty percent possession for most of the game. So yeah, there you go. Well done. Ten percent makes a difference. Uh, no, it doesn't make a difference. That's the point. Like they yeah. just. For me, I think I I had a poor game. I think she was giving the ball away a lot. Um, I know she's a lot of work to do up there on her own, but I definitely wouldn't be asking her to do so much. I think for me, she needs to stay central and stay high and then the support to her needs to be better. Um, But in general, I thought West Ham looked like they, you know, they were the better team, to be honest. But soon as they went 2-0, I mean, they were 2-0 down within 15 minutes. Yeah. Uh, they, they're never coming back from that. It's it's impossible for a team like that who don't have many chances in a game in general to come back. And of course, the third goal, well, it didn't really matter. They had lost anyway, but it was a great goal. Great goal from... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it puts Everton like creeping up the table slowly. They're not exactly Champions League challenging at all, but it's good to see a team that's quite young that has had its own difficulties mm. kind of getting up there and providing a bit of mid-table entertainment for us because we do enjoy that. Um, that's all we have time for this week on the show. Uh, there's no WSL action this weekend. There is FA Cup, but we will still have an episode for you next Tuesday. Thank you, Emma. Thank you, Karen. And um, we will see you guys next week. The Koi Gig Pod on OTB Sports in association with Cadbury. A player and a half deserves a glass and a half of support.